Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, it's been a while, but I'm going to try to get a podcast out today. This is the day before the 4th of July. Before we get into the podcast, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite Ultrafeed sewing machine. The Ultrafeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Well, it's been a while, and I've been very busy, and (laughs) when I'm doing a volunteer podcast like this, it's sort of like you get the podcasts when they come out. I can see the end in sight. Uh, We're we're, uh, painting the summer home. Uh, We're going to start that on Thursday. Uh, Hopefully, we will install the carpet on July 10th, and then... Uh, I don't like this. I'd like the electrician to get in there before they install the carpet, but I'm so tight on painting that I probably will have to have the electrician come in and finish the uh, finish electrical after the carpet is in, which is not the ideal way to do it. Usually you want the electrician to finish up after the paint and before the carpet, but I may not have that luxury because of my timing. I, I Let me tell you, I am so fed up with the over expansion in Salt Lake. Everywhere you look, there's these ugly seven-story apartment buildings going up all around the valley. Uh, Then they're trying to make uh, Salt Lake an inland port, which would bring more and more people to the city. And and I think our city fathers are basically ruining a beautiful city, a livable city, and just trying to pack it with as many people as they can get into this little valley, which will create more and more inversions with more people. And uh, and now they're talking about putting what's called an inland port, which would create much more pollution and fill up the West Valley with more warehouses. <sighs> uh, I don't like it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'll always keep an apartment in Salt Lake, but our main home is going to be up in the clean air of the Uintas. But anyway, I'm hoping to get out of here and go sailing towards the end of July. That's my goal, and I would probably sail till around the middle of September, even though I know in the Adriatic in September the weather changes for the worst. So we'll see. We will see. Got some uh, letters. Let's do our letters. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, 
Write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. Well, the first email I got is from Scott from harding.edu, which must be an educational facility with an edu on the end. And he was asking me about how I feel about the website No Foreign Land, who Jack Andrews did an interview uh, about that, that website, which allows you to go on and post photographs of anchorages, write descriptions of anchorages, uh, allows you to put your boat on the map so people can find you and search in the area around you for other boats that are sharing the same information. But Scott wrote, just wanting to know your thoughts on this site. Isn't it taking part of the sailing discovery out of cruising? If everything is mapped out before you even go, and there's no surprise, why go? Maybe I'm missing something, but isn't sailing about being out there and finding these things out? Or am I missing something? Would like your thoughts. Can we be overtracked or have so much information available online? Thanks for your podcast. I also bought both your ASA 101 and 103 audio series, and I like them. Cheers, Scott. I wrote him back and said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll answer the uh, letter on the podcast. And then he wrote back, said, great, sure enjoy your podcast. I'm still trying to decide the pros and cons of almost instant communication and new technology. Listening to the party books and other earlier cruisings talk about discovering those out-of-the-way places was part of the enjoyment. I've also listened to and read about people taking off with their GPS and little skill because they know help is only a phone call away, and that can't be good. Curious to hear your podcast. Cheers, Scott. Yeah, Scott, I sort of feel the same way as you do, Um, but let me tell you my experience. And uh, I used to subscribe to, all right, see if I can collect my thoughts. That was my wife calling it. <laughs> There's another phone call. That's the trouble of trying to do a podcast in the office, but I'm going to ignore that one. All right. So I was saying, I used to be a subscriber to uh, Seven Seas Cruising Association. And in fact, when cleaning my house a couple of weeks ago, I had years and years of their old volumes that I, that I threw out. And I liked the idea of reading everything I could of of the areas I was going into. And you know what I discovered, Scott, is that no matter how much I read and how much I, I, I you know, back when you could actually look at vi- photos on Google Earth, it really didn't matter how much research I did ahead of time because it's always different than you imagine. It is always different than you imagine. You can do all the research in the world, but until you really get there, you don't know what an area is like. It's sort of like you can read every book you want on sailing, but until you learn, until you get on a boat and go sailing, you know nothing about sailing. And that's sort of the way it is, in my experience, with travel to different locations. I can do all the research, watch YouTube videos, do all the stuff that you can do ahead of time, and it doesn't matter. It's all new when you get there. And then you have your own mental maps of the area and memories of the area. And, uh, and and that's been my experience. So I, I, on navigation though, I mean, I do agree with you. You don't want to, you don't want to go off without skills. Those are the guys that run up our insurance rates because those are the guys that 
<laughs> have accidents, and as, as more people have accidents, that means the insurance rates go up to cover those accidents. Some people think insurance companies just magically print money out of nowhere. No, no, it comes from the policy policy holders like you and I in our boat insurance. But I think there needs to be a certain amount of skill involved in going out there and going sailing. I learned how to do celestial navigation. I've never really practiced celestial navigation. I sort of am a little ashamed to say that. But I did learn to do coastal piloting very well on charts with pencils and dividers and protractors and all that. And I, and I can still do that if I needed to. And when you pass the uh, Coast Guard examination, that is what is required. You are required to pl- do coastal navigation with with uh, with charts, not with GPS, but with charts and sightings. So, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from, but it, but my experience is it doesn't matter how much research you do ahead of time. You uh, it's it's different when you really get there. And and really, a lot of the discovery is what you talk to other sailors when you get to a location. You find out here's what you really find out when you get to a location. What you want to know when you're on a sailboat is number one, where's a good place to get a drink? Number two, where's a good place to get your groceries? Number three, where do I get another SIM card? Number four, yeah, any experience they have in the area that they could impart to you, any great great things they can tell you about the area. And that's all local knowledge, and usually it's knowledge shared from one sailor to another sailor. So I hope that answers your question, Scott. I appreciate you buying my sailing courses. I hope you found them useful. Another comment, which is really more just an email and not really a question, came from Jackson Cranfield. And he wrote, Hi Franz, I've been listening to your podcast for the past two years and have loved it. All the stories and advice you've passed on. My name is Jackson. I'm 27 years old, Australian, and five years ago I started developing the dream to sail around the world. I have competitively sailed since the age of 10 in dinghies, skiffs, and yachts, either fleet racing or match racing, but I wanted to see the world under sail. Over the past three years, my girlfriend and I started seriously planning towards this adventure and have turned it into a reality. We purchased an Elan Impression 384 in Croatia in April this year, returned to Australia to plan the finer finer details and pack up our life. We are heading back to start life on a lean in two weeks' time. We are starting in Pula, Croatia, and want to make our way to the Canary Islands later in the year to cross over the Caribbean. Now, I know we are not leaving enough time to do the Mediterranean, but we want to make it back to Australia in the next 18 months. So I'd really love your insights into what is the best passage over four months what are the best sites to see in bucket list places? Where would you avoid and how would we make the most of our time? We have also started putting in some videos on YouTube. You can search for us in Finding Avalon if you're interested. But I would love to talk to you further, even do a podcast if you're interested. Look forward to hearing from you. Regards, Jackson. Jackson, yes. I want to do a podcast with you. So let's try to find a time when we're both in, uh, available to do a podcast. 
so you know how to get a hold of me. All right. I don't know that I can help you much in this one, Jackson. In fact, I better get Google Earth opened up and uh, try to jog my memory. So hold on a second. All right, I've got Google Earth open, Jackson. So let's talk about this. So you're going to work, start from northern Croatia and work your way down. Well, there's a lot of places <laughs> you can spend a month, two months, three months, just sailing the coast of Croatia. But listen to some of the uh, podcasts we've done especially those with Andrew Vick, and pick out the spots that you want to visit. The places I would probably make sure I did not miss would be uh, uh, the island of um, Losange, Mali Losange. And there's a couple little anchorages there that are really nice and unique. And we talk about those in the podcast. Uh, you want to go up and, and check out the Kirka National Park up at Scraden. So you go by Sibenik and go up the Go up the river to Scraden. Make sure you check that place out. Spend some time there. That's good for three or four days just doing that. Then you're going to want to make sure that you um, check out the little island of Brock, Havar. Uh, then you'll want to go down to Korchula. Visit the little walled town of Korchula. That's beautiful. Spend a couple days on the island of Mijet. Mlijet, M-L-I-J-E-T. There's a national park on the west end of that island that's well worth visiting. Uh, then you'll head down to Dubrovnik. And uh, you can head up towards ACI Marina. You don't have to go into that super expensive marina. You can anchor off of it to uh, just outside the mouth of the marina if you want to. It's very good holding and I've done that, left my boat there and gone into town. There's a couple buses that'll take you right into town uh, from the marina. And then head down to Sovtot where you'll clear out of Croatia and uh, head on south, spend some time in, in the fjord. You'll, of course, you'll, you'll clear customs in Montenegro and spend some time in the fjord in Montenegro. Then you might want to head down to Bar Montenegro and... Uh, or actually Budva, and I'm not sure you need to go to Bar. Bar, I wouldn't. I would avoid Bar. Bar is not that interesting. But as long as you can clear out of Montenegro and Budva, then I'd head to Budva and clear out of Montenegro. If you can't, and I think you can clear out in Budva, then you'd need to go to Bar because I know you can clear out in Bar. And then you want to head over to Italy, spend some time in Brindisi. The waterfront in Brindisi is, is quite delightful. I like the town of Brindisi. Also, I've taken trains out of Brindisi. If you have the time, uh, get on a train in Brindisi and go down and, and visit the town of Lecce. That's a beautiful old medieval city. You might go north as well. There's some other sites to the north, but uh, Lecce was worthwhile. Then get on the boat, head down to Ortanto which is another beautiful spot in Italy, and then head around to uh, the, the toe of Italy. And you might stop at some of the marinas there. There's not that many that I would uh, recommend. But if you don't want to do overnight sails, you'll just sort of hop down the, down the coast. I think I stayed at Rochella, the harbor of Rochella, a long time ago. I would want to visit Syracuse in Sicily, uh, also, you'd want to visit Terramina in Sicily. You might visit Catania in Sicily. 
Actually, I would recommend you visit Catania as well. That's a really beautiful town if you don't go in the wrong section. And the wrong section is right by the marina, so you want to take a left, walk down the waterfront a little bit after you come out of the marina, and then head into the town. Uh, the first time I went to Catania, I thought it was a really dumpy, dirty, dangerous city, and that's because I just stayed near the marina. And the next time I went down there, I found the nice section of town, and it's really a gorgeous little town. I just happened to be in the wrong spot. I didn't have any local knowledge to tell me where to go. Got in there late at night, changed crews there. And uh, actually, when the next crew arrived, that's when we discovered the delightful part of Catania. Anyway, you'll want to visit uh, Terramina, which is a gorgeous little village. You'll um, There's places to anchor there, or you might uh, find a marina and head up to Terramina. Then you'll go through the Straits of Messina, come around the corner you might spend some time in the aeolian islands if you don't get blown away too much lapari's the uh, the main harbor that is an all-around harbor in the aeolian islands uh, volcano's a neat island to visit if it's not too windy then you'll head over to cephalu the northern coast of sicily a beautiful little town there from Cephalu, I took a bus into Palermo. You might take the boat into Palermo. Palermo is another town you wouldn't want to miss in Sicily. And then from there, you're going to head up to Sardinia. I never went around the southern coast of Sardinia, so I don't have much information on that. You might do some research on which way you want to go around Sardinia. The most direct route would be around the southern point of Sardinia. But I went through the Straits of Bonifacio when I came over from uh, the Balearic Islands. And so I spent time in uh, Obia, Porto Cervo, uh, the, the northern part there. There's a bunch of islands on the north, the northeast coast of Sardinia that are well worthwhile. Hop over to Bonifacio on Corsica. That's a beautiful, picture-perfect harbor. You don't want to miss that. And then head over to Menorca. I went around the southern coast of Menorca. When you're going around the Balearic Islands, be careful about going around the north side of the islands. If there's a bad weather pattern that comes up, uh, you put yourself in danger. I went around the southern coast of Menorca, but I went around the northern coast of Mallorca. So it just sort of depends on if you feel lucky or not. And then Ibiza, and then probably over to Alicante. Give yourself some time in Spain to rent a car and do some inland travel. I really enjoyed the inland part of Spain much more than I enjoyed the coast of Spain. And you can do your research on where to visit in Spain. So then you're going to work your way out, check out uh, the Straits of Gibraltar, check out Gibraltar as well, and then you'll turn left to the Canaries. Now you've got, <laughs> you're just roller skating through the Louvre. Now I've heard of Australians doing this. I met a couple Australians last year. He got a divorce, he got the boat. She got the house. He'd come over to um, doing exactly what you did. He went over to Croatia, bought a boat, and was delivering it back to Australia because he, there was an arbitrage on the price of boats in Australia versus the price of boats in Croatia. And he was thinking he was going to make some money by buying the boat in Croatia, sailing it around the world to Australia, and selling it in Australia. Now, that may be what you're trying to do or not. We'll find out when we do a podcast. 
So that's my advice to you. That's the best I can do. I think you're crazy to try to get through the Mediterranean in four months, but that's up to you. Got an email from Howard Clayman, who's been on the podcast a couple times, talked about Israel and Cyprus. Howard said, hey, Franz, if you have a cruise spot during the summer, I'd like to consider joining you. Let me know if you have an opening at some point. And Howard, I'm getting closer to setting up my schedule, and if I do have an opening, I'll let you know. Thank you very much. And I got an email from Ian Falconer. He said, Franz, I love your podcast and the distinctive long-form narrative. Without exception, your podcasts are the best on sailing and my favorite of any podcast. And I listen to plenty. I download my podcast using Dogcatcher, but cannot figure how to put a positive review. Please use my comments to promote your work or direct me to an online site. Cheers, Ian. Ian, thanks for that. And Ian wrote, P.S. My wife and I are slowly cruising the world in our Liberty 458. We'll remain on the U.S. coast, West Coast, until 2020 when we go south, east, or west. Ian, again, thank you so much for your kind words. That means a lot to me. I got an email from Dave Miller. Dave said, thank you for the great information you have given me listening to your audiobooks. I just passed the ASA 101, 103, 104, 114 classes and hope to charter a cat in the BVI soon. Love your podcast. Hey, Dave, thanks for, thanks for the comments on the courses. And to everybody listening, If you, the two ways to support this podcast, number one, become a patron, which there have been very few lately. I'd like more patrons. And you can get that at patreon.com backslash medsailor, I think is it. Anyway, there's a link at the website, medsailor.com, for the link to the Patreon site. I'd love more Patreons. But the other way you can support me is buying my audiobooks. I have audiobooks out there for the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104. And I've got a lot of very positive reviews from people that have used those to help prepare for the written portion of the American Sailing Association examinations. I can't teach you to sail, but I can teach you a lot of terminology and, and uh, get you thinking about sailing in my audio courses. And they will basically get you through the written portion of the uh, ASA exams. Again, Dave, thanks for your comments. Then I got a long email from Brian. <laughs> and I think it's, it's too long, but basically Brian said he listened to my uh, podcast. He decided to have delusions of grandeur about five years ago and wanted to go sailing and uh, and then his family had an intervention with him and uh, stopped his dreaming for a while lives in armadillo where is it amarillo texas yeah i'd rather live in armadillo texas and go sailing the mediterranean too your your wife must be crazy Anyway, um, I, think, uh, I think you had the right idea, and your family needs an intervention. But uh, you're coming to Salt Lake sometime in September. More than likely, I'm not going to be here, but if you're coming back again, let's make sure we get together. We did talk on the phone, and I, and I, and I got a kick out of your email, but it's really just a little too long to, uh, to read on the podcast. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments or questions, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. 
If you want to do me a big favor, you could become a Patreon of the podcast. I have a few listeners out there that are already patrons, and I'm looking for more. If you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while, please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsane. And one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Well, today, Neil Fletcher shares with us his experience, a couple experiences he's had. The, the main one is his first Newport Beach to Ensenada, Mexico yacht race, and the second is his experience in dealing with the California State Tax Commission for property tax on his boat that's located in Sweden. All right, Neil, take it away. This is Neil Fletcher reporting for the Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. Last month, I took part in the Newport to Ensenada International Sailboat Race. Franz has been mentioning it, I think, on a couple of occasions in his recent uh, podcasts. I was a little sick and um, laid low with bronchitis, so I wasn't really able to record properly. I was recording on the boat, and I've got some decent audio which I put together, and it will follow this intro. But I just wanted to give a little bit of background, just so you know what it is we're talking about. Regular listeners will remember that last year I did a report from the SoCal 300, which is a 300 nautical mile sailboat race off the coast of California, one of the biggest that they have in this part of the world, and I did it on board Macondo, which is a 47-7 Beneteau. Nice boat, good crew, had a lot of fun, lots of wind, and a couple of hairy moments coming between the Channel Islands off of uh, the California coast. This time I did the Newport Ensenada race, which I'd done last year on a Beneteau 55. But the owner of Macondo said to me that he didn't want to do the race, but he was willing to give me the boat to do it if I was so inclined. Now, I didn't want all of the responsibility, so I signed up as crew chief to pick the crew, because in my experience, if you've got a good crew who know what they're doing and you can get on with them, that's about 90% of the way towards having a good experience. I uh, worked together with another English fellow called Andy, who decided that he wanted to be the skipper, which was fine. If uh, someone has to be there at four o'clock in the morning and keep the boat moving when I'd rather be in my bunk, then more power to them. So it took place last last month. We were in, I think there were about 100 boats in various different categories. And the winners, by the way, were uh, these huge maxi trimarans. There's one called Mighty Malo that I think uh, won the race. And I think we started around noon. They raced all the way down to Ensenada from Newport Beach. It's about 125 miles. And I think they were done by about 10 p.m. in the evening. But that's for the superstars. For the rest of us, we were still plodding along. Although we did, at 10 p.m., although we did have very good wind um, all the way through till about 3 o'clock in the morning. And then um, one of the crew members who was uh, at the helm made the choice to turn inside and make the turn to Ensenada really perhaps a bit earlier than we should have done. So we ended up 
moving from the pack, chasing Dennis Connor, believe it or not, who was uh, the, the class of our particular field, of our division. We were in sort of third or fourth place all the way across the border and past these islands called the Coronados, which are sort of well-known. You decide to go in or out, depending on how much wind there is. But we were in the chasing pack for a pretty long time, um, until we decided to make the turn inside um, because the wind was dying and we thought we might get a little onshore flow, I guess, later. I will, I'm not really quite sure what the, why the decision was made, but the person who made it has forgotten more about sailing than I'll ever know. He's a very experienced sailor and we delegated the responsibility to him. But in, in doing so, we went from being fourth or fifth in the pack to end, end up we ended up finishing I think 13 out of 14 boats and it was very frustrating because we were bobbing around at 8am 9am 10am the wind would not come up come up and we finally didn't cross the finish line till early afternoon which was a shame because we had expected to be finished about 7 or 8am in the morning so we expected to have tequila with our breakfast tacos but apart from that it was fine no one was injured no one was hurt. We had a good time. It was exhausting, as these sort of 24-hour races can be. But I would do it again. I plan to go back next year. It's going to be a fixture on my sailing calendar for as long as I can do it. So thank you for your indulgence. I've cobbled together a few scraps of audio from the crew. I want to thank the crew of Macondo for being such good people. And uh, we've got quite a few of them speaking, to, and uh, you'll hear that their experience covers the gamut from basic beginner to experienced offshore sailor. So let's have a look at the 2018 Newport to Ensenada race. It's a little after seven o'clock on Friday evening. We're about 25 miles off the Coronado Islands. We've made wonderful time so far. We've been averaging between seven and eight knots. Right now the wind is on the starboard quarter. We're flying the kite and the sun is going down. We've all we had a nice uh, dinner, the 10 of us, crew dinner, Thai chicken curry. And um, now we're just preparing for the, uh, the night shift. We've got Marie Rogers with us who was uh, previously made such a good impression on the previous podcast on the SoCal 300 and Mike Gooley who's not much of a sailor but is a really good all-round guy so sorry to spring this upon you guys I'm would you just like to tell me your experience your impressions of the race so far oh it's beautiful all my friends are here I haven't seen the cookies yet sun's going down I'll probably have another nap before I drive from what is it 12 to 4 you <laughs> with me at that time and uh, we're way ahead of schedule, and it's it's a beautiful evening. Yeah, this, is, this is great. This is my first Newport to Ensenada race. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, having a good time. I'm doing the what am I doing? The um, uh, eight to ten, and then then four to six shifts. The graveyard two to four, two to six shifts. I do the graveyard shift. Uh, I'm learning a lot and uh, having a good time. All right. What about you, Burko? You want to give us a word? Well. This morning I had trouble keeping down coffee and a pastry, and uh, I'm working on uh, on uh, digesting some excellent spicy curry, and I hope the keopectate does its job so I can do my job starting 8 o'clock. That was a, by the way, that was a fantastic dinner. 
Well, isn't that nice? So that's three of my favourite sailors right here, and we're all upbeat and feeling jolly, mainly because of the fact that we've had such good conditions. And it's a really nice group of people here. So we've got 10 people on the crew, and there's no duds among them. So um, I'll check back in the wee small hours, but uh, right now, as I said, the sun's going down, and everything's looking beautiful for Team Macondo. I should say, by way of explanation, that veteran racers in the Newport to Ensenada race will tell you that the biggest problem is not having enough wind. Sometimes they sit out there for eight to ten hours, the sails are slatting, the boat is rocking from side to side and not going anywhere, or just going in circles. So that's pretty much the cliché about the race. But this is my second time doing it, and the first time we had a little lull in the middle of the night, but we had plenty of wind in the morning, and plenty of wind before the sun went down the night before. But this time it's just been pretty much glorious. It's, I think the least we had was about seven knots right off the start line, and then it's just held steady between sort of 10 and 12. We started off on uh, a tight reach, and then the wind came around to the beam, and then a little bit, after that it went um, towards the quarter. So we've had spinnaker out to shoot up for about three hours now. But it's just been nice and steady, no drama. The boat moving along at a very fine clip, eating up the miles. So I'm hoping that that will continue. As I said, we're about um, eight hours into the race now. And if this weather holds, we should be in in less than 12 hours more in the early hours um, in Ensenada. So I'll check back a little later. It's 5.38 on the morning of Saturday, April 28th. We're sitting in the cockpit of Macondo, the five of us, and we're about um, 18, perhaps 17 nautical miles off the coast of Ensenada. We've been lucky enough to have pretty consistent winds overnight, and this is going to be one of the fastest races, by all accounts, Ensenada races for quite some years. I'm sitting here with um, Mark. We won't use any last names, just to protect the innocent. We've got Mark, Mike, Mark number two, and a gentleman who's covering his face and head and probably doesn't want any part of this podcast by the name of James. He's just nodding. They're looking for me. Okay. Just uh, tell us, if you want to tell us about it, this is the first time you've done this race, is that right, Mark? This is the first time I've done this race. and it could not have been a better experience, um, favorable winds, and affable crew. Excellent. Now, you, and you're a pretty, you're something of a veteran racer in the Southern California area, though, are you not? I've done plenty of races. I have a lot of experience, but not on the long haul races like this. Is this the longest one you've done? By far. Yeah. Okay. And I'm assuming that since this one seems to have turned out so well. You'll be doing some more in the future if the body holds up. Um, the body will hold up. Uh, we'll see if the luck does. <laughs> All right. And now we're going to go over to um, uh, a gentleman whose party piece is to dress up as Vladimir Putin in costume, costume parties. He's been regaling us with those stories. His name is Mike. Again, no last names, no pack drill, no identification. Uh, Again, he's a little more of a novice sailor, but we've got to know him, and he's a hard-working fellow and very affable and likable fellow. How have you enjoyed your experience so far, Mike? 
Yeah, it's been fantastic. This is only my second uh, overnight race. Uh, and last one was to, uh, around Catalina, and I think uh, this this we did faster than uh, than that first race around Catalina. So um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, feeling good. Looking forward to going to Ensenada. I haven't. Uh, I grew up in LA, but I haven't been to Ensenada since since college in like 20 years. So uh, I want to see if they still have the same old same old haunts. Looking forward to it. Yeah, there's the same old haunts and plenty of new ones to haunt as well. I think uh, from what I hear. <coughs> now you are a friend of the owner of this boat, um, going back to college, um, but you're not really an, a keen or an avid sailor. Has your experience here perhaps steered you towards getting on the water more often? Absolutely, yeah. Now that uh, now that my uh, good friend has a boat, it means like I have a boat. So it's uh, the only better thing than having a having your own boat is having a friend with one. So he's been nice enough to uh, to drag me out and get me get me sailing and. Uh, uh, I, I did some sailing maybe 20 years ago on a, on a team, but didn't, didn't learn too much. But now it's uh, been able to do it more regularly, getting out there. It's uh, it's been a good experience. Crew, you guys, you guys are all um, very knowledgeable, and you're very patient with us newbies, and uh, and uh, we, we love it. Yeah, so we couldn't have a better couldn't have better teachers. Clearly, someone wants to be invited back. <laughs> <laughs> And at the helm, we have another Mark, Mark number two, who's a little more of a taciturn type. Do you want to say a couple of words to, into the microphone? Also a Trojan. A another Trojan, that's right. So, um, hey Mark, so how long have you been sailing? I've been sailing about four years. This is my first overnight trip, long distance. It's been an absolute pleasure, great crew. Uh, it was something of an experience to be sailing out under the moonlight uh, like nothing I've ever done before. And you own a boat yourself in Marina del Rey, don't you? Tell us what kind of boat that is. Sure, I own a 1979 Catalina 38. She's hull number six of her class. I take her about mainly on leisure sails. Once in a while I might do a casual race here and there, but I just enjoy the boat for what she is. Alrighty. <laughs> so right now... <laughs> Right now we're huddling against the cold. It's definitely got a little colder the last couple of hours. But uh, the sun is now up. Rosy-fingered dawn is, is creeping across the wine-dark sea. Uh, the classical scholars there will recognize the Homer reference. And um, we're in on the home straight. So this is probably the last report we'll do from the cockpit. And um, the next report will probably come from the hotel coral and marina where they're going to have a mariachi band and all sorts of taco stations there's going to be music in the air margaritas flowing and all sorts of yarns and tales being told so we'll check back in a little later it's sunday morning april 29th there's five members of team macondo sitting here in a condo or a townhouse fittingly enough overlooking the pacific the marina and the hotel where our boat is docked is about a uh, 10 minute walk down the hill if we look out our window of our kitchen we can see the pacific and this morning it is gray and overcast um, which will mirror our mood to a certain extent after last night's celebrations and i'm sure the weather will burn off the sun will burn off the haze and it will be another beautiful day on the pacific in mexico later on today so we came in yesterday um, a little after 
what was it, 2 p.m.? Was that the time we got injured? We don't have to be precise. 12.45. 12.45, okay, even better. And after we checked in with the Mexican customs, which was quite a long ordeal, and we were all tired and eager to get to the margarita bar. And nobody was grumpy. No one was grumpy. We came back to the condo, and um, some of us uh, slept and went out for an evening's carousing. carousing. Others just took a shower and headed down back to the marina. So sitting here with, again, no last names, we have crew members Dottie, Mark, Andy, myself, Neil, and Mark number two. So would anyone like to start talking about the experience and how they felt the race went? I think the race went very well. Um, Big thank you to the crew. A little bit of a no-win situation about 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., but apart from that, everything was perfect and uh, happy with the fourth place finish. (laughs) (laughs) Just behind Dennis Connor. Right, just behind Dennis Connor, whoever he is. Mm, Promising newcomer. Yeah, we, we had consistent wins, as you heard earlier in the podcast, for most of the race, but when it died, it really died. And I think we'd come in a little bit more than perhaps we should have. It's easy to be smart after the, um, after the event. But we, in hindsight, we probably should have continued further down the coast and then turn in more at a 90 degree angle so we'd have had wind for longer. But it seemed so consistent. I think a lot of people turned in, but those who did really well didn't. They just kept going down. Or some of them took the inside route that got more of the run line. But some of them died as well. I spoke to some people last night. Um, I've raced a lot, and the, the couple things, and uh, and the and Bill, the very experienced old salt that was aboard, um, showed us some things to do. Now I'm a better sailor for having done this race. And then uh, after the race, having a nice meal and going out and uh, going out on the town and experiencing the locals and there's the lights. I'm a novice, a novice traveler with some very experienced travelers last night, and now, and now I'm a more worldly person. So, um, Mark, this was actually your first time out of the country, is that right? No, no, I've been actually I've been down here before. Okay, okay. You've done this race before? No, no, oh, I didn't do the race before, but I uh, I brought a boat up oh, sure. from down here. So to set the scene a little. After the race, as the evening began, there was a big party down at the Coral Marina and Hotel, where most of the, that was ground zero where everyone started. There were drinks, there were lots of tequila, there was a mariachi band, there was a couple of taco stations, so there was both the smell of grilled meat permeating the air and the sound of mariachi music, and it was all very festive to start off with. Uh And then the more, as the older folks, like myself, decided to head out off for an early night, the younger, more vigorous folks, like you, decided to take a taxi down the hill into Ensenada. And the, the flesh spots and, uh, and drink and watering holes were waiting for you, I gather, right? They were, they were open and operating and thriving. Yeah, thriving. Yeah. <laughs> the atmosphere was buzzing. And there were a lot of sailors on the streets and in the bars, I'm gathering. Yes, yeah. Yeah, a lot of red hats. A lot of red hats, right. And so you went to two of the most more famous places, which were Papas and Beer and Hussongs. Yes. So Hussongs <laughs> is a very famous cantina in Ensenada for people, for, for weekend revelers and college kids coming down from San Diego State and San Diego uh, the, uh, the universities up there. That's where we bought the buckets of beer for 16 bucks, 12 beers in a bucket of ice. For 16, okay. 
and there's music playing and noise and lights and fun and that helps get you in the mood. And Papa's and Beer is the same kind of deal, I'm guessing. Papa's and Beer is a sprawling place with a lot of tables, uh, a little, a bit staid, in mm-hmm. comparison to Hassan's. Hassan's was a crush of people. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think that place is famous for getting busy later. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a little quiet. Yeah. Well, Hassan, Papa's and Beer was funny. I, I turned to one, I turned to, uh, to uh, one of the guys I was with and I said, I see, I see a t-shirt in your future. And then on the way back, going to another place, they had they had a they had a across the street. Hassan uh, Papa Sambir had an entire store for their own merchandising. Sailors mm-hmm. who you bumped into, who you chatted, who you knew. I mean, they were all. Uh, was was the mood generally? Were they happy with the way that the race had gone? Because this it does seem to be that there was a lot more win than usual. That's well, we, we, we chatted about the race, but they're just happy to to participate and to be here. Right. Just happy to to uh, um, to do it to, right. to, for right. the experience and, and, and the thing. There. And I think I think the race and placement for the people I spoke to was secondary. Right. The placement of the race, but just doing it. Just right. Well, those of you who listened to the um, the podcast we did last year on the SoCal Three Hundred, you may remember the voice of Mike Price, who is a very well known local sailor in Southern California circles. He works for Ullman Sales. His father's a sailmaker. He's been sailing since he was three or four years old. And uh, he gave us some interesting words of wisdom, which still seem to apply perfectly. He said that it's not really important that you have a crew of, um, you know, AAA sailors who can do everything faster and better and more precisely. He said that you need to have good personalities, people willing to work hard and not let the rest of the crew down. He said, and it's very important to manage your resources in terms of your people. Um, when people are off shift, they have to be off shift, and even if they're down below and they can't sleep because there's so much noise or because they're they're buzzed and they're on a high, nevertheless, the act, simple act of lying down and closing your eyes allows you to replenish your resources internally a little bit, and that's important yes. when you might have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and start again, and you really don't want to. Yeah. So even if you don't sleep, just being just being horizontal, not so doing anything, is good. Yeah. Mark, you're conspicuous by your silence. Do you want to contribute anything to this uh, conversation? Have you had enough coffee? Well, I think what I enjoy most about sailing, I, I discovered sailing as an adult, older adult man. And what I enjoyed most about the sport or the pastime, whichever, whichever uh, bucket you fall into, is it's the closest thing to a team sport that I've had since high school. And so the idea of holding each other collectively accountable for whatever role you're in when you're on deck, knowing that you can rely on the person uh, whose job it is to trim a sheet, knowing that you can be relied upon to raise a halyard. Uh, those are aspects of this sport that I haven't really been able to indulge since high school. And it's something that I really appreciate about just being on a good team, especially when you add the great chemistry that our team had. So that's probably what I have most to contribute on that. Okay. Well, I think that's a a very nice way to end this segment. If any of you out there listening are interested in looking uh, more, finding more about the race, you can find it at nosa.org. That's N-O-S-A.org. They're the organizing committee for the Newport Twin Sonata race. You can see, um, the order of finishes, the classes, the times, and some of the times are absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the maxi class 
there's a couple of big trimorans. I think one of them finished by 10 p.m. Um, and you know you've got to remember the race starts at about 11:30, so they're covering 120 miles in um, 10 hours or less. It's just absolutely mind-blowing how fast those boats go. But if you are interested, check it out. Um, and um, if you are, as I was a few years ago, just an armchair armchair sailor dreaming, I would encourage you to find your local yacht club. Uh, volunteer to get out there. Skippers are always looking for sailors, even if you're just starting as rail meet. And you'll learn little by little, and maybe in a couple of years you'll be doing 24-hour um, intercontinent international races. You never know. So um, that's really about it from us here, the five of us sitting here in um, in Ensenada from Team Macondo. And remember, life is short, and uh, it's all in, it's important to get out there and make some memories. So make some memories and go sailing. This is Neil Fletcher reporting for the Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm recording this audio from my house in Santa Monica, California. I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I have an older Labrador dog called Daisy and she's sleeping and uh, she does tend to snore a little bit. And the miracle of modern audio doesn't allow me, uh, at least my knowledge of the miracle of modern audio doesn't allow me to figure out how to take that out. So I'm hoping that uh, she'll be quiet and she won't rumble too much. But anyway, let's move on to the matter at hand. Regular listeners will know that Franz is not averse to um, airing his libertarian views from time to time, especially how they impact with the government and him and his sailing life. And although I'm a little to the left of Franz politically, I recently had an experience with government bureaucracy that drove me up the wall, and I thought it might make an interesting story to share. So let's give you a little background. Um, As regular listeners will know, back in the 2015, in the fall, I bought an Allied Seabreeze um, sailboat from Andy Shell. Andy and Mia, of course, run the excellent sailing podcast 59 North. I bought the boat sight unseen in Sweden, and I went and sailed on her for the summer. I haven't sailed on her since then, although I will be going back in just a couple of weeks. In fact, by the time this airs, I may already be there, but I do plan to spend the summer of 2018 on her. Anyway, uh, I bought the boat, as I said, in Sweden. It's been there ever since. But back in March, I received a letter from the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. And this letter opened with the kind of ominous sentence that no boat owner, or indeed any taxpayer, ever really wants to see. I'm going to read it to you. It says, The California Department of Tax and Fee Administration has received information regarding your purchase of the above-referenced vessel. The purchase of a vessel for use, storage, and other consumption in this state is subject to sales or use tax. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry for lapsing into stereotypical Nazi, but that's kind of how I feel about this kind of letter. 
Um, I looked at it and initially I thought, oh, well, this is just an oversight. All I need to do is uh, see what exemption I am due. I will contact them, find out what paperwork they need. I'll send it to them and I'll hear no more about it. So I called their office in Sacramento and after going through quite a long phone tree of auto prompts, I met uh, on the phone a nice young lady called Irene who told me that if I provided a few pieces of documentation, this simple misunderstanding would all be cleared up and I wouldn't have to pay a thing. So on April 4th, I sent the office a fax with no fewer than six documents based on Irene's recommendation. I sent the original bill of sale. I sent the insurance policy with Pantaneous, which is the English insurance company that has really done a very good job for me. But the purpose of sending it was that the policy outlines the cruising area as Europe, not California. I also enclosed my Swedish boatyard's proposal for winter storage in 2016, as well as their invoice for the same winter storage, and then their invoice for summer storage in 2017, and then their invoice for winter storage in 2017 and 18. And then I added, this exhaustive documentation should be all you need. And then just because I thought that maybe these people might have a sense of humour, I added the following paragraph. I said, uh, if you need anything extra or, or enjoy a good read and pretty pictures, I invite you to visit my website, sailingarctourist.com, which has over 20 blog posts and pictures covering my sailing adventures in Sweden, or my Instagram account, at sailingarctourist, which has geolocated pictures, which are also time and date stamped of the boat in Sweden. So I didn't think anything more about it. Silly, silly me. On May 22nd, which was, uh, they sent me a letter, which I actually received on the Friday, right before the Memorial Day holiday, which was the very worst time to receive it, because I had to sit and stew for four days before I could actually contact anyone. And in the letter, it says, Dear Mr. Fletcher, the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration has received your use tax return and claim for the other exemption on the above vessel. In your correspondence, you claim the vessel is not located in the United States and is currently in Sweden. To support your claim, you submitted the following documentation. And they listed one invoice from my boatyard, the Ramsmore Revarve and Marina, the one for the 2017-2018 winter season. The other five documents I submitted, they made no reference to. And in fact, they didn't seem to have received them. So then they said, unfortunately, the CDTFA, that's the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration, is unable to grant an exemption at this time. Um, in order to give further consideration to your claim, please submit copies of the following documentation. And they wanted the purchase bill of uh, agreement or bill of sale, which I'd already sent them. They also wanted something called uh, documents authorizing or verifying out-of-state delivery or acceptance. They also wanted to see receipts for mooring, fuel, food or maintenance <laughs> and any other supporting documentation you may have. And then they told me how much I owed them. $3,460.80. Needless to say, I was pretty ticked off. So first thing Tuesday morning, that's today, I contacted the office and I left six messages with the front desk to speak to the supervisor. The letter that I got, incidentally, as is typical, was just not signed, but there was the initials MS. 
So I asked the receptionist who could have written this letter, and she told me a nice lady called May Salcedo, I believe. Anyway, I found out who her who her supervisor was, and um, this receptionist told me his name was Ryan Wong, but that Ryan was unavailable because he was in a meeting until 10 p.m. So I uh, 10 a.m. So I called back at 10:06, and I'd been and I was told that he'd already gone home for the day. And I thought to myself, well, that sounds like the sort of job I would love. Imagine being able to go in in the morning at nine, sit in a meeting till 10, and then go right home. Sounds lovely. I guess that's paid for by all the uh, monies that they collect from people who don't owe them money. Anyway, this kind of ticked me off even more. So I managed to get hold of May, and I spoke to her at length for about 20 minutes, explaining that I'd sent all this paperwork before and that I was sending it again. I also decided to bury her in paperwork so I sent her about another 20 screenshots from my Instagram account where the boat is clearly located in Sweden and the shots are all um, time stamped. So hopefully that will be the end. I hope to not have to come back on this podcast and complain some more but it's interesting that due to this department's inefficiency and their lack of professionalism and their inability to log documentation that comes in so that the next person who is dealing with your case doesn't have the documentation you sent before. It's Kafka-esque and it's a real pain in the butt. I've spent three hours dealing with this. They're not gonna, I'm never gonna get that time back and they're not gonna compensate me for my time. All I can do is vent a little bit on this podcast. So thank you for your indulgence. Avoid the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration at all costs. And stay tuned for an update, which I may give at some point in the future to let you know how this all played out. In the meantime, don't get mad. Go sailing. Thank you for listening. Please write a review in iTunes for me. I'd really appreciate it. And consider becoming a sponsor or a Patreon of the podcast or buying some of my audiobooks. Get out there and go sailing. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.